podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Feeling very, very semi-final about all things. Yes, yes indeed. Semi-final on the horizon against your boy, Unai Emery. There's a lot riding on this for you. This may be the most high-stakes game of your life, because if we lose, you just have to give it all up and go support some other club, because you will officially be the jinx as to why we've lost. I'm wondering, actually, if it's myself or yourself who is going to end up with proverbial egg on probably not real face. Because you know what? At the start of this season and then in January as well, when we're getting ready for European action to resume, uh, the point has been made about not just Unai Emery, but Brendan Rodgers as well. He hadn't won a single European two-legged knockout affair in his managerial career before this season. Unai Emery had never been to the Champions League quarterfinals before this season. Both of them are now in semi-finals. Who would be the most likely from this point to go on and do it? Well, let's let's back the truck up a little bit here. Brendan Rodgers is not currently playing in the European competition. He's playing in the (laughs) Conference League, which is not real. Um, Way for competition, I should have said. But... But um, Leicester are through to the semi-finals. Uh, they scraped past PSV Eindhoven with a late goal by Ricardo Pereira. And now they get the joy of two legs of one Jose Mourinho, whose Roma team looked, to be fair, excellent last night. Tammy Abraham with a goal and one of your favourite players, Nicolo Zaniolo with a hat-trick. That front three of those two with Pellegrini behind is a little bit formidable. And that's not necessarily something I would be looking forward to facing if I was Leicester City with a Brendan Rodgers coach defence. Mourinho, you know, is going to be properly up for that one as well, up against one of his, his former underlings, uh, a fellow who's had a couple of rather arrogant statements about Jose in the past. And uh, I don't know, I don't I don't really fancy Leicester's chances over two legs against the, the master of shithousing. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I find it quite difficult at the best of times with the Europa League to judge how seriously teams take it up until probably the semi-final stage. Uh, Once you get to the semis, obviously, everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to go and win the trophy. But then you're talking another competition down after that. So how um, focused, let's say, they might have been, Roma and the likes in in the earlier rounds, I'm not too sure. But 
you'd imagine with Mourinho and he just wants trophies. He just wants to mm. win. It, obviously he's been a little bit short of them himself compared to his earlier career as well. So he'll definitely want a UEFA trophy, which he'll no doubt then say is his greatest achievement or whatever. Of course, because it will be. Um, but he would then become the first manager to win the old UEFA Cup, the Champions League, the Europa League and the Europa Conference League. He would only be missing the defunct Cup Winners Cup from the entire set. But no manager can ever win uh, that entire set unless we start dragging people out of retirement homes. Uh, Jose will be thrilled if he can pull this off because... Roma's league season hasn't really gone the way he would have planned. They're fifth in the league. They're five points behind fourth place Juventus and very unlikely to make Champions League. So winning a cup is the the primary goal now for Mr. Mourinho. You mentioned the Europa League and we had some interesting results last night in that competition. So Atalanta... With the home advantage, lost 2-0 to Leipzig. Leipzig go through. They'll face Rangers in a semi-final. Uh, Rangers beat Braga 3-1 at home. Great result. Atmosphere at Ibrox seemed to be incredible. In the other one, though, I think a lot of people thought it would be Barcelona versus whoever. But Barca were beaten 3-2 at home by Eintracht Frankfurt. And that game was put to bed by 67 minutes. Barca got two really late goals. But that's a bit of an embarrassment, isn't it, to go out, especially considering how well Barcelona have been playing and the fact that that's pretty close to their best 11 that they put out last night. Yeah, not a million miles away from it, to be honest. Um, a couple, you could say, like Frankie de Jong didn't start, for example. It was a... An odd midfield selection I did feel for that one. Uh, I didn't watch the game, but I saw the lineups and obviously was keeping tabs as it went on. But to play against a team who are so focused on, let's say, getting the wing-backs really, really high up the pitch, lots of crosses, um, they don't really tend to bog down the midfield, centre midfield too much, I'm tracked. So getting it wide to Kostic in particular, getting over all the crosses, um, getting Deji Kamada on the ball in, in between the lines. So then playing Bedi and Gabi either side and ahead of Busquets, I kind of get it to do his running because they're, they're younger, but then you're leaving massive, massive gaps in the channel. And Oscar Mingueza, obviously, at right back is not his best role and he's not the best defender that they've got anyway. I think that that was... Uh, Maybe not the best setup for them. Very, very disappointing, I think, from their perspective mm. to go out at this stage. I mean, once you get to a semis and all that, anything can happen. And I actually think this this quartet in the Europa semis is maybe the most interesting I've ever seen this competition. I don't usually like it. I don't really pay too much attention to it, even at this stage. But these look really wide open um, fixtures. I think that there's, even with Leipzig being in general uh, a bigger team, in the last couple of years, obviously not not historically, uh, than their opponents. I, I don't necessarily think that they're miles and miles ahead. So it's pretty open. I think it'll be four really interesting legs to watch mm. overall. Um, I I know I said uh, uh, about two rounds back, I didn't think West Ham had a chance. So apologies again to Mr. Moyes, who keeps doing this to me. Uh, I'd probably make them favourites now. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to look past them. But then it's also hard to look past Eintracht, who have knocked out Barcelona and Real Betis in the last two rounds. And Betis are having an excellent season. Rangers have had the easiest run to this point. I mean, they 
knocked out Red Star, Belgrade, and now Braga. Braga are a decent team, but that's probably the easiest run any of these have had. If it's not West Ham as favourites, it's probably Leipzig. They're probably the best footballing team, and they've got, I think, the best individual player in Nkunku, and a couple of other outstanding players there like Dominic. But West Ham, they almost seem like they're fated to win this this year. Now, what I will say is, not to piss on their parade or anything, Lyon are a mid-table team in France this year. Like, this is far from a great Lyon team. They were also missing their first-choice goalkeeper. It's an excellent result to go there and win 3-0, don't get me wrong. But it's not some European giant slaying like it's been made out to be. West Ham are just a better team than Lyon. West Ham are a far more expensively assembled team than Lyon. It's a good result. I don't think it's what some people are making it out to be. I would agree in terms of the results, but I I think that they're probably focusing on the wrong bit there. It shouldn't even be about who they beat. It should just be the fact that they did beat someone to get to this point. That's the only thing that matters in these competitions. Like, um, it doesn't matter. Pick any Champions League semi-finals that you can remember before. It doesn't matter who you beat to get there. You know, afterwards there's like uh, recriminations of like when Atalanta went to to quarterfinals, semifinals, that kind of thing, saying they d- didn't have the biggest sides to face. It doesn't matter. When these clubs haven't been to that stage before, beating oh, them yeah, no, does I agree. When Spurs got to the final, for example, it was Ajax, which is a big name, but not the biggest cl- uh, team at that point, obviously. So I think that the people who are criticising for the result not, you know, or trying to make out that the result is a giant killing, they're the ones who are getting it wrong because it doesn't matter at that point. I agree. I agree. I think... If we look at the fact that West Ham, put it this way, Moyes and Arteta took over West Ham and Arsenal respectively in the same month. West Ham were a train wreck and they were going down. Arsenal were a European-placed side. Moyes finished sixth last season in his first full season in charge. Arteta finished eighth. Moyes has has West Ham in a European semi-final and Arteta is in the process of bottling a top four that was wide open for him. And that's with Arteta having spent, I believe, 210 million more over his tenure than Moyes has. Like, at some point, people need to realise that David Moyes is a very good manager. Yes, United went disastrously badly for him. And yes, the Real Sociedad and Sunderland jobs didn't go well, but he took them too quickly off the back of the horrendous spell at United. And I would say how the thing at United ended with so many journalists that Moyes had been on good terms with sticking the knife in, probably knocked his confidence for a couple of years. But David Moyes is doing an outstanding job. And one of the only things that would be better than us winning the quadruple and Everton going down would be Moyes winning major silverware in the season Everton went down after he spent 11 years there and won jack shit, despite doing very well. 
Yeah, I mean, Everton and Everton season and how all that might pan out, I guess we're going to touch on that in a minute with the other news of the day as well, because there have already been suggestions as to how Everton's own decision-making could further lead to their decline. Um, but look, if Moyes, I think even if he gets them to the final, regardless of whether he actually wins it or not, mm. I mean, it's by a mile his greatest ever season. If he gets them into Europe and wins a trophy, that's like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he can ever beat that again, to be perfectly honest. While in all, while finishing in probably a European spot in the Premier League again, doing it on on both fronts with what is a fairly small squad is super impressive. Like last year, I thought Moyes should have won Manager of the Year. I thought to get that West Ham team that were widely tipped for relegation battle into Europe, be consistent across the season... I thought that was a bigger achievement than Pep winning the league again with all that money spent. But this season, what Moyes has done is is to a new level. They're going to finish sixth or seventh in the league, I guess. They may well finish above Manchester United. And they're doing that while going deep into a European competition. I think he's done, over the last two years, as good a job as anybody in the Premier League. And I found his comments recently very interesting where he was talking about the United job and he said if he got it now, older, wiser, having had experiences at different clubs, having had failures in his career, which he hadn't had before he took the United job, he thinks he'd be a lot better equipped. Now, whether that's him, you know, putting himself out there for a bigger job than West Ham, I don't know, but I don't think he'll ever get one again. I think West Ham is probably about the the height he'll get to. Well, look, West Ham as a height is fine, but if he does win this competition, it's West Ham in the Champions League. That's yeah. a high, that's a new height already. That's a new challenge. So there's no reason for him to be considering or looking elsewhere. And I don't think it was. That was in response to a you know a direct question anyway. But um, I, I think it probably has merit as well. It's kind of the same argument as is currently being leveled at um, Julian Nagelsmann as well, of course, at Bayern Munich. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, if Moyes gets West Ham into the Champions League, they should just build a statue of the fellow because that would be an obscene achievement. Uh, speaking of people who deserve statues, Sean Dyche has been sacked this morning as Burnley manager. Dyche, Ian Wolne, Steve Stone and goalkeeping coach Joe Mercer have all left the club with immediate effect. The timing of this is a bit mad. Like, I get there's eight games left. You've, you're in kind of desperation mode at the minute. But surely this decision should have been made on Monday so that you'd have the entire week to prepare for a game this weekend as opposed to making it on Friday. I think... Deich deserved to see out the season regardless because two promotions, two top 10 finishes, European football, working on a shoestring, a net spend of, I believe, 21 million since 2017 to keep that club in the Premier League for six straight years as he did is one of the great managerial achievements in the history of the Premier League. I get things seem to have gone a bit stale. He had made some very questionable decisions of late in terms of team selection and tactics, but this just seems bananas to me, Carl. 
Um, I mean, I can understand it both ways, to be fair. I mean, you keep the fans on side by keeping Sean Dyche in place. That's the first thing. If someone comes in and doesn't do a good job for like the first three games or so, one, the fans aren't going to take to that new manager, caretaker manager, short term, whatever it is that they bring in. And two, they're going to be um, quite against the decision makers at the club because they got rid of a legend and haven't improved the situation. On the other hand, you can understand that keeping the Premier League place at all costs is is definitely a thing that many clubs have looked to do. And there are only four points at the moment. I'm a little bit surprised timing-wise as well, not just because it's now the day before uh, or two days before they play West Ham, but because following that, they've got two home games, both probably winnable against... Well, Southampton one's winnable because Saints aren't really going for anything at the minute. Wolves have been a bit hit and miss recently, not quite as defensively solid as before. So those two games coming in the space of like five days, if they'd have made the decision, let's say Tuesday, Wednesday next week after the West Ham game, if it didn't improve, then you've got a short time for um, you know three, four days of training and preparation for the match with the new manager, but still having that, you know, the new energy, the new sort of sense of optimism, if you like, the, the new manager bounce basically ahead of two quick fire games. Whereas this one, you've not got really got much time. He's got a game now away from home against a team who are really, really confident in West Ham, who we've just been discussing about. Mm. And if it doesn't go too well, that's another full week then for it all to go a little bit flat in training again. Yes, more time for the uh, tactical side and, and arranging how he wants them to defend and all the rest of it. But I kind of feel like Burnley are probably a team in need of uh, an energy injection rather than yet more organisation. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Now, you mentioned the two games they have coming up after this West Ham game. Now, there there is a possibility that they get an exhausted West Ham on Sunday and can sneak a draw. Yeah. Southampton at home, like you said, definitely winnable because you just don't know what Southampton you're going to get week to week. Some weeks they look really good and some weeks they're an absolute train wreck. Like, I'm thinking of last weekend, they were a train wreck. I'm thinking of the Villa game, where they'd won three or four in a row, went to Villa and got pumped. Um, they're, they're just a strange team. Wolves, also a bit of a strange team. And like you said, they've gone off the boil a little bit. But I, I, I don't know that I'd expect them to get anything there. But after that, they've also got two winnable games. Watford away. And Watford just don't do well against the bad teams at home, for whatever reason. Like, they played Leeds last weekend, a game that was very winnable for them, and they got ran off their own pitch. Now, Burnley won't run them off the pitch, but Burnley could easily go to Watford and win. They could definitely beat Villa at home, because Villa, like Southampton, you just don't know what team is going to turn up on any given day. They've got Villa away before the end of the season as well, and they finished their season with Newcastle at home. There's a number of winnable games in there, it's why I thought prior to last weekend's disastrous performance against uh, Norwich, I thought Burnley were a much safer bet to stay up than Everton because Everton's running is really, really tough. Burnley have, whatever way you look at it, Burnley have four or five winnable games. There's Southampton home, Watford away, Villa at home, Newcastle at home. And then Wolves at home and Villa away are games they could have gotten a point from or more, depending on which opposition turns up. 
to do this now is strange unless they have something lined up to come in Monday morning. Now, the question would be, is that something bathed in gravy and wrapped in the form of Sam Allardyce? Well, those are the two who are getting, let's say, joked about at the minute on uh, social that it's going to be either Rafa or Allardyce. And either way, former Everton manager sees Everton relegated by saving mm. the club. If it's Rafa, that's even funnier than Moyes winning something and them going down or us winning the quadruple and them going down because they've already entirely blamed Rafa for where they find themselves despite the fact that they've been tragically bad under Lampard and made their situation much worse under Lampard. But if Rafa took over and kept Burnley up, that would be magnificent. Allardyce, I think, is the more likely bet. This is sort of, this is his bag to come in and try and save a club. Now, obviously, he tried last season at West Brom. It didn't work. Uh, he he managed to absolve himself of all blame, though. Um, it, it is there for someone to come in and do it. We mentioned, obviously, that they've got West Ham this weekend. Everton don't play this weekend, so... If they could pick up a result against West Ham, it would close that gap again. And when you start looking at Everton's fixtures, Leicester at home, Liverpool away, Chelsea at home, Leicester away, that's four very tough games. Then they get, they do get two winnable ones though, Watford away, Brentford home, though Brentford are playing well at the minute. Then Palace, potentially off the back of an FA Cup final if Palace get past uh, Chelsea, so that could be a winnable game as well. But then Arsenal on the final day of the season doesn't look like they'll get anything. Uh, it, it's still wide open, even with the even with the four point gap, it is still wide open for either of those teams to find a way to stay in the Premier League. Yeah, still uh, not just ways of keeping themselves in the Premier League, but still a lot of uh, mistakes to be made by a few of those clubs and managers oh, yeah. at the bottom. To be honest. Yeah, ways ways to find yourself out of the division as well, uh, without question. I, I just, I don't know. I, I the timing is just weird. Like, I I can get moving on from Dyche. I can get that there's probably panic around the club. Their first accounts covering the tenure of these new owners are due out at the end of this month, and those are going to shine light on what that buyout looked like when those owners bought the club. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk that they used a leveraged buyout and put all that debt back onto the club, basically used the club's own money to buy to buy the Burnley. And if they go down, it could have a catastrophic effect on their finances and could see Burnley really begin to tumble. Like, it could be almost a death knoll for Burnley. If they go down, leveraged with whatever it was, 280 million of debt sitting on the club, you're losing Tarkovsky for free, you're going to lose Pope, Dwight McNeil, I'd assume Veghorst and, and Max Cornet will go as well. I don't see them playing in the championship. It begins to be very hard to see Burnley coming back up because they won't have much money to spend. Most of that money from those players will have to go towards servicing that debt. 
if Burnley go, Carla, I, I genuinely don't think we'll see them back in the Premier League for, for many years, if if at all. I'm sure you have the listeners in floods of tears at that sentence. Look, I, I get that the, there's a lot of people that dislike Burnley because, well, their fans are a little bit gammon and the football's a little bit gammon and they're a gnarly, horrible bunch to play. But for me, there has to be a place in the Premier League for a club like Burnley. Burnley are, by a significant margin, the smallest club in the division. They're a smaller club than Brentford, in my view. I think they've got a smaller fan base. They've got far less money being put into the club. Brentford's isn't always put into the first team, but it's being put into the analytics approach and into how they recruit. They're a smaller club than Brighton. They're smaller than Watford. They're smaller than Norwich. They're they're a very small club, and yet they have managed to overcome the odds. Like what people don't realise, we get Liverpool fans routinely talking about how Klopp overachieves season on season, and he does. But Burnley staying in the division, Burnley finishing 17th, is as much an achievement for them as us finishing second or third is. That's how small of a club they are. That's how small of a budget. 21 million net spend over five years. Like, we moan if our net spend is less than 30 million in one year. Theirs is 21 for five years. They're a tiny club that have continuously overachieved just by being in the league, let alone staying in the league, finishing in the top half twice, getting into Europe. Now, I know the European adventure didn't last very long, but nonetheless, that's there's there's got to be a place in the league for a team like that, a club like that. There has to be. Or I what's the point? Is. No, I think there always is. I think there often, most years, pretty much every year has been. Even teams like Huddersfield, let's say, when they were in. Um, I know there are obviously some bigger historical clubs like Sheffield United who come up and down. But I think generally... There always is. It just doesn't always have to be the same one. I think that that's also fine. That's, you know, sport and measure. Same as, you know, in Spain, Elche survived for seasons and seasons as one of the tiniest clubs. We look talk about Villarreal, even the they're a very, very small club in terms of size, population and history. It's only over the last decade or so they've managed to make themselves sustainable. So absolutely it's okay. But I think it is also okay if they go down as a result of some of their own decision makings. I mean, we've spoken about them before and the lack of reinvestment they put into the team after releasing players on free transfers and that sort of thing. Eventually, that will take its toll. Oh, 100%. I don't have a, a problem with them going down. I just don't necessarily think it should be greeted with, you know, mass celebration. You mentioned Elche. I'd mentioned Ibar as well and the run they had in La Liga. Those clubs were embraced. Those clubs were celebrated. People wrote books about Ibar and their survival in La Liga. People will write books about Villarreal in this era. Nobody's writing a book about Burnley because in England, there isn't that culture of embracing someone pulling themselves up by the bootstraps. It's the same thing in Ireland. This is not an English thing. This is a British Isles thing. England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. We're a culture of begrudgers. And we begrudge seeing a smaller club fighting among the big boys for an extended period of time. 
as if to say, you don't belong here, get back down with your own sword. Whereas in Spain, with the likes of Ivar and Elche and Villarreal, I don't know if the Spanish embraced them, but we look at that and think, isn't that a great story? Look at Villarreal, isn't that wonderful? Whereas if Burnley got to a, a Europa Conference League semi-final, we'd all be like, well, them shithouses ever get back to where they belong. Get yourself back down the championship, lads. You don't belong. It's just, I don't know. I, I'll be sad to see them go uh, because I, I think they have brought great value to the Premier League. And I, I again, not just that club that overachieves, there also needs to be a place in the league for a bunch of shit houses. Like Stoke were in the league for years and, and deserve to be in the league for years. Finishing mid table, kicking lumps out of everybody. They were spending a lot more money than Sean Dyche was, but they seem to be praised more than this Burnley team have been. Tony Pulis got an awful lot more praise over his tenure with them in the Premier League than Sean Dyche has gotten. Yeah, probably so. Um, I'm not even going to go into the reasons of why. I don't know why, but I think Burnley, maybe the colour, maybe just the way the word sounds, Burnley, they don't tend to get very much praise. It does, it does sound it just, a bit grim, doesn't it? It just sounds dull before you even get to how, how things do, are there. Do you know what well, it is as well, right? Because they wear claret, yeah. same as Villa, same as West Ham, but it's a really flat kind of claret. It's a really sort of it looks cheap or like claret mixed with gravy yeah basically basically it's like someone put instead of putting in like fabric softener they put in gravy into the washing machine and that's what the jerseys come out looking like they look a bit cheap um but yeah as i just hope they don't go to the wall i just hope this isn't the ruination of the club if they do go down maybe maybe they get someone in and they stay up and if they do Great, brilliant, because that'll mean the Ev have gone down. And when it comes down to it, ask yourself, who's funnier to see go down, Burnley or Everton? And if it's not Everton, you're lying to yourself. Let's move on. Um, One thing we should note before we get into this weekend's game, if West Ham overcome Eintracht Frankfurt, they they would play City three days before a Europa League final, which means Moyes is playing absolutely nobody of importance in that City game. Uh, So my working theory that West Ham and Wolves were the games that City could slip up in could be firmly in the bin if West Ham beat Eintracht over two legs. Um, But we're going to do two games in this podcast because obviously we're recording this on the Friday. Anfield Index, we don't release anything on this date, the 15th of April. So this will come out on the 16th, the day of Liverpool versus Manchester City in the FA Cup semi-final. So we're going to cover the City game and the United game quickly and uh, give you one podcast for, for both games. So, Carl, City at the weekend in the FA Cup semi-final. They had a very difficult evening in Madrid on Wednesday, got kicked up and down the pitch suffered a couple of injuries. Kyle Walker's ankle injury looked a little bit nasty. And then there's the Kevin De Bruyne issue as well. 
Um, there hasn't been much word about about Walker, but the reports, and I don't know how accurate they are, are that Kevin De Bruyne will miss this game at the weekend. Have you heard anything to the contrary? And if not, how big of a blow do you think that is for City, given their other options in midfield? Uh, well, look, De Bruyne, I think, is back in probably the best form he's been in all season. So, yes, absolutely a massive uh, miss for them if he doesn't play. The reports that came out were from France initially, and I haven't seen anything to contradict them. Kyle Walker obviously was in a, I think it was a, like a protective boot that he had on, whereas De Bruyne was just walking fine by himself. There was no no aid needed for him. So out the two, you'd imagine Walker is most likely to miss the game and is also less of a miss because of the alternatives that they have at fullback. They've got options, uh, really, really quality options in midfield. So it's not like they won't be any good with without De Bruyne, but he is absolutely there. I think at the minute, their biggest match winner. He's, as I said, in, in the best form that he's been in all season. It would be better for a Liverpool perspective if he's not playing. It might also make City have to look in a few different directions for their you know, their chance creation and their route to goal. We know that they're one of the sides most capable of doing that, that so many creators throughout the squad are able to do it. But it might be that instead of De Bruyne being, you know, the really regular conduit that he is, they look a bit more to Maris to be more direct or they take where where they did do well against Liverpool in the Premier League match and try to replicate that just more and more often. Yeah, I think that's a fair shout. Do you think the fact that we played them only last weekend and obviously the game ended in a draw, but I came away with the feeling that they were more upset by the draw than we were, even though the draw favours them because it leaves the league now in their hands. They did outplay us for stretches of that game. Do you think the way that game turned out, will that embolden Pep to maybe be a bit more adventurous in this game? Maybe because they they set up in a way where they were trying to draw us on and then hit us on the counter. And they had those three in front, Sterling, Foden and and, uh, Gabriel Jesus, who had that pace to run in behind. Do you think will that lead to Pep going with a different type of approach where maybe City come out and try and dominate a bit more of the ball and be a bit more of the one that forces the issue in this game as opposed to waiting for us to make any sort of small error and then try to ping us on a counter? Uh, Maybe a bit of both, to be fair. I think that this, just because of the nature of the game, the fact it's the FA Cup, which... Obviously, again, like I said before, you get to the semi-finals, everybody wants to win everything, but it is a little less of an intense encounter, maybe. So I think that maybe it's a little bit more about the football and the madness and the it's a cup game, so we have to win. The fact that we cannot draw this game, I wouldn't be surprised to see them start really fast and try to do as much damage as they can early on. And then later on, if need be, they go for a little bit more control and a little bit more of the the classic pep possession and all the rest of it. Yeah, so try and get a couple of goals ahead and then manage the game from that point, maybe. Um, That is probably the best approach, especially on that big old pitch at Wembley. Now, like you said, the fact that this game can't end in a draw, 
this game has to have extra time and penalties should 90 minutes fail to bring us a winner. I don't think after what they went through in Madrid, they would be overly enthused about the possibility of an extra 30 minutes on that big old pitch. So I I do sort of feel like City will come out wanting to end that game in 90 minutes. And maybe that plays into our hands because obviously we had sort of a more straightforward game. It was a bit of a mad game, but a more straightforward game during the week. We never really seemed overly stretched. We got through it with no injuries. We were able to rotate quite heavily and then freshen legs throughout. Can we take a more patient approach here then? Is this something where we can look at it and say, well, we'd be fine with 120 minutes, but we know you definitely don't want it after what you've just been through? Um, I don't think that we would mind as much as them for the same reason that you've just said, but I don't know that that's something that we'll actively look towards making the most of because quite honestly I don't see that there was enough uh, reason last weekend to suspect that we can control it in that way we have to improve quite significantly on the defensive work on the off the ball work not just how the defenders play but on our off the ball work from last weekend I think that's the first thing like you said a bigger bigger pitch much more open feel about any Wembley encounter just by the space that is there Um, we're gonna have to be a lot better in terms of making sure that we're closer to stopping the passing lanes or closing down the initial cross or those gaps in between the centre-backs that we saw at times. I think all of that probably has to change a little bit for this game. And that, in turn, might make it quicker after we have won the ball, after we've made the turnovers, then you've also got spaces to exploit. So I don't know that, if anything, I feel that we would go more to counter-attack and style in this game, much more in terms of try to make sure our shape is really good, but then be utterly explosive after turnovers I, I just feel that the way the game is uh in terms of the context of a knockout and how the pitches and the recent game that we've just had all of that seems to me to indicate that we had more opportunity to win when that's what we did when we played forward really quickly when we weren't trying to uh, control and play our way out all the time we got ourselves into a muddle a few times doing that a few individuals who are normally really reliable were not quite so much on the ball and I feel that maybe we just look for a little bit of chaos. Again, maybe that's only early on. Maybe we see what usually happens in cup games and they do settle into a bit of a pattern, a bit of um, one team has quite a lot of possession and then the other team has a spell and not a lot happens in those periods. But to begin with, I wouldn't be surprised if we were a little bit more on the back foot and then try to make use of the spaces that are there and with a lineup accordingly. See, that's the thing. That's that's what I mean. That's I'm fine with that. I'm fine with us going out there and being patient and, you know, allowing them to have the ball and then trying to hit them on the counter. And and knowing that at some point within 90 minutes, we're going to get some, you know, at least one really good chance from that. And even if it doesn't happen, even if it goes to extra time, we're the team that are better set up to deal with that. We have no injuries. We have a slightly bigger squad. They do have injuries. And they've just had a very difficult game against Atleti where they were exhausted coming off the pitch. Like, I I don't think we need to force the issue here. I don't think we need to go out and try and be the big I am 
and meet them in the middle of the field and go toe-to-toe with them. I feel like we can go out, absorb their pressure, and spring counterattacks. I, I, I think that's probably our best approach in this game. Because if we go out and try and match them toe-to-toe, I think they'll, because of how they play and because of how robotic is the wrong word, but do you know what I mean? How how well-programmed they are, how well... Yeah, exactly. Like, everything they do is is basically an automation. Like, they get the ball into the same areas over and over again, and they look for the same crosses, the same pullbacks, the same passes over and over again. The, the same players make the same runs 15, 20 times a game. We can't match them at that because we don't play like that. But what we can do is we can allow them to do what they do, rely on the fact that defensively we are great and we don't necessarily have to go and man-mark the halfway line and maybe sink a little bit deeper, invite them on, and then look to use our real weapons, which are our ability to transition the ball very, very quickly. Two of the best long passes in the world in our back four in Trent and Virgil and dynamic pace in the wide areas regardless of which two of Salah, Mane, Diaz and Jota are starting in those positions Yeah I I think how Liverpool's transition game is, is going to define whether or not we win, simple as that Um, I I expect us to be better in general short play passes than we were, I expect us to be better defensively than we were in terms of our organisation and just the partnerships that we had, which you know you mentioned it a couple of times, Fabinho had one of his poorer games, and there were mm. he was far from the only one. Let's be honest. So I would expect those to improve across the board. Maybe not every single individual, maybe not every single thing, but in general, we'll be better at those things. Um, but how good we are in transitions? I mean, we basically scored in the first half off our only real attack against City in the in the league game, and we scored. Again, similarly, in the second half off the only real attack we'd had in quite some time uh, right after the restart. So how good we are at doing that, how much we can not surprise City. They're not going to be surprised about anything that we do. We're, if anything, they're the more likely team to, to, to change an approach than we are. But how well we are able to manipulate the opportunities we generate ourselves, that's going to decide whether or not we can beat them and go to the final, I think. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I do agree with that. I would. We've talked about De Bruyne, and he is going to be a massive blow, for, a massive loss for them if he's not there. But am I mad to think that Kyle Walker might be an even bigger loss, given the size of that pitch, and given that, other than him, that might be one of the slower collections of defenders knocking around. I mean, John Stones isn't quick. Diaz isn't quick. Laporte isn't quick. Canseo's not slow, but he's again, he's not quick. Zinchenko's quick enough, but it might be Aki at left back if Canseo's right back. That doesn't, without Walker's covering pace, which was vital to them at the Etihad, if we're looking to hit them on the counter, a lack of Kyle Walker could be a big, big plus for us. Yeah, yeah, I'd go along with that. And I think I think I'd probably say that Ake would be the one to come in as well. Because if there is going to be any kind of a change for 
for Pep in not in formation, not in the base formation, but in just their general build-up play. You're probably looking at Cancelo pushing forward into that midfield zone. You're probably looking then at, let's say, Grealish pulling really, really wide on the left-hand side so that they have still got um, split options in the channel so that they've still got an ability to stretch our defence. But with Cancelo pushing into the centre on one side, it probably means one tucking in from the other side. They won't push both of them up necessarily and go... Uh, wingback style it'll be one pushes up from deep and one pulls out wide from further upfield already that's how he tends to do it so maybe Ake then becomes that one who sort of sits a little bit inside a little bit into the left channel uh, central midfield sort of area rather than really pushing on as a winger so Zinchenko could but I suspect that I guess that defensive um, manner that Pep has usually is to have the ball and retain possession of where the game is played, right? Rather than try to make tackles and try to you know, win aerials and all the rest of it. I think there's more chance of doing that with Zinchenko. But with the other midfielders coming in, let's say like Gundogan in for De Bruyne, you're going to get runs into different areas. And that probably means Ake has to cover two sort of roles where he's filling in, really. So I think that he's probably more likely down the left. Yeah, that's fair. So what are you thinking then in terms of a City lineup? If we take the assumption that Kyle Walker won't be there, um, Ederson, Canseo, Diaz or Stones? I think that's a big question for Pep because Diaz is obviously the first choice, but Stones has done quite well of late. He's had a decent season. Uh, Diaz had a couple of shaky moments this season and it would be his first game back after time out with a muscular injury i don't know that us on that pitch are is the ideal game to welcome him back what would you go with stones or diaz i guess stones simply for the fact that diaz didn't play uh, any kind of part at the at midweek so i suggest he's not probably fully fit at the minute mm. and the other one i mean we didn't even mention him but stefan played the quarterfinal he played one of the earlier rounds as well. I assume Ederson True. comes back in for this, but there's been no absolute confirmation of that. Um, Ederson did play one of the earlier rounds. Uh, I forget. He who did because uh, Stefan was injured. Yeah, so Carson was on the bench for one game and Ederson played, but Stefan has been their FA Cup keeper. So I don't know whether Pep's just going to keep him in there and that's his competition. Yeah, because Stefan played... Through the, uh, the League Cup. Yeah, I think it could be Zach Steffen in goal because he played both EFL uh, League Cup games. He's played three of the four FA Cup games, and the one he missed, he was injured for. He had some sort of stomach issue. Um, yeah, it could well be Zach Steffen. Now, it, Pep has history of that, doesn't he, of having a cup goalkeeper who gets the cups. We've obviously done it with Cuevin in the League Cup this year, but... Klopp was very clear that Ali will be our goalkeeper for the FA Cup from here on, or from the last couple of rounds on. So yeah, potentially Zach Steffen in goal. Um, do would you expect? I, I think Laporte will start. Would you expect Zinchenko or Aki at left back? Like what I what makes ex- more sense? Well, Aki, like I said before, because of the not just the the doubling up the roles that he's got to do, but also if you're going to push Cancelo a little bit further forward and keep width on one side, it's probably not the left back who does it on the other side. 
So the only alternative there is, which he's done before, is either Stones goes right back and Cancelo left back, or Laporte goes left back and Diaz comes in anyway. True. Neither of which are really ideal. No. Um, Aki at least has, <clears throat> excuse me, has been a left back in his career. And it does still allow them to play that back three in possession. The, instead of Walker tucking in on the right, it's just Aki tucking in on the left. Um, into midfield then, I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be Bernardo Silva, Rodri and Ilkay Gundogan. I, I would assume that's the, just the automatic one as Gundo comes in for KDB. Yes. And then up front, he does have a decision to make. Gabriel Jesus scored, didn't really offer a whole lot else against us. I think Foden is nailed on to start, but those two wide positions are questionable. Do you think he goes Gabby Jesus or Riyad Mahrez, who's been in pretty good form since Christmas, to be fair? Yeah, he usually seems to start Jesus against us. He likes that sort of kind of the industry or the offers and then an extra poacher for those small chances that do come along. I think exactly what you just said is the reason that he is usually in there against us because it's small margins and he wants a finisher in there for when a chance does come along. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him start again. But I agree that Mahrez has been really good. Um, Mm. I think it might be one of Mahrez and Foden personally. I think Grealish might start this one and then he's out on the left and then Jesus and one of Foden or Mahrez. Mares. So that would that would be Jesus through the middle if Mares is the one that starts, or Jesus on the left and Grealish through the middle, which he's tried a couple of times, Grealish in that false nine roll. It ha- it hasn't worked, but Pep is nothing if not stubborn. Um it would be a big call if Grealish doesn't play, because he didn't obviously play against us in their last game, uh, in the last league game. Which, you know, as I said on Raw afterwards, it's it must be a very nice luxury to have a player sat on your bench who cost a hundred million pounds and you bring him on as a sub. But he also then didn't start in Madrid and didn't even get off the bench in what was a critical Champions League game. D- does he trust Jack Grealish in big games if he's not starting him in either of those two? Will he, I would, will he look at the FA Cup as a lesser game than either of those two? Well, yes, it is. So there's that. And also the fact I would never, ever, ever have started Jack Grealish against Atletico Madrid anyway. Not in a million years. Not if we were winning 5-0 from the first leg. You wouldn't start Grealish in that game, simple as that. Uh, could go either way against us. I, I don't know about trust. Um, I don't really care whether he does or not, to be perfectly honest. He's just another one that City have got. And if you ignore the price tag... I know we can't in terms of is he a success or not because that value is part of it. But just in terms of Pep has a squad, I don't think it matters too much whether he starts every game or not. Just the same as I don't think it matters too much for us whether Firmino or Jota or Diaz starts every game or not. It's important to have the different options there. And I think that this game coming so soon after the league game, both managers are going to want to change a couple of bits on and off the ball. And we get to what what ones I think that will change in a minute. But I I Mm. reckon considering the spaces that were there and the space we may well see this time, maybe Grealish is one of the ones he thinks can get a little bit extra in that attacking areas. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And he is also someone that 
does exploit space very well and there's likely to be some in this game. Uh, what about our team then? So Ali in goal, Trent and Robbo come back in at fullback is my assumption, though you know I wouldn't have any any doubts if, if Costas is the one picked. He was, was excellent during the week. Virgil will be back. Who partners Virgil? That's the first big question. Yeah, I ain't Canate this time. I think Canate over the two legs against um, Benfica was probably the top performer. Uh, I said it on Raw. He made a mistake in the first leg and there was you know, one of the goals where his ankle bone or whatever was keeping him onside in the second leg. But basically, in one-on-one, in terms of uh, holding the line, I think he was probably our best performer. And with a few of the situations that we saw against City where we need an improvement defensively, again, I think a lot of it comes down that side. I'm not saying it's anything bad about Matip, just I think for this match, this performance, this pitch, Kanate, I think, probably covers the spaces a bit better. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I, th- I think that extra pace, and especially that recovery pace, if if Trent gets caught up the pitch and they break down that side, I would be more comfortable with Ibu stepping across and having the pace to deal with something than I would with Joel, who... He can step across, but if he gets beat, that's game over. He's not getting back, whereas with Kanate, he can get back. We saw it early in the Benfica game when Darwin beat Joel in a tight space, and Joel was never getting back at him. Ibu got beaten in a tight space by him on the other side and managed to get back and not only deal with it, but he won the ball back. So, yeah, I would be more than happy with that. Um, Second big question. Now, Thiago and, and Fab didn't start on Wednesday, so my assumption is both of them start. But who starts with them? Your guess is as good as mine. I don't think it's going to be Naby after the minutes on the pitch. No, I don't either. So is it Henderson or is it Jones or is it Elliot? Is it Ox? I don't think it's going to be Elliot because there's not been enough involvement there recently to suggest it's you know even a remote possibility. Mm. I think it'll be Henderson to start. I think um, the timings of when he came off during the week suggest that he'll be involved again from the beginning. But Henderson is one of the ones who's started a lot of games recently but come off in the majority of them. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was the same again. He's the one who's going to be playing you know, 50, 60 minutes and then it'll be changed accordingly, whether that's Keita coming on for control or Milner coming on for a certain amount of running or <laughs> whoever you want coming on to try and make us be a bit more creative or anything. I wouldn't be surprised if it was still Fabinho, Diago and Henderson. And then Hendo is, like I say, one of the first off. There's nothing like a meritocracy where shit performances are rewarded with more time on the pitch. Um, he has been really poor in the last well he's been poor all season but the last two games in particular uh henderson has been really poor and if he continues to start it 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 does not speak well of of any kind of meritocracy at the club um i i would hope that curtis jones gets the nod personally i think that game could suit him quite well um into the attack then and I'm get, Salah will start. We know that. The other two positions, you could tell me any combination of the other four, and, and I would be on board. I genuinely have no idea. I, 
Bobby grabbed two goals, but he played a lot of minutes, which might indicate he won't start, even though I think he's the one we need to start against City. Um, Mane came off the bench, so maybe he starts, and I have no idea who starts in the other spot. I, I, who do you think? I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I agree that the minutes are going to rule out Bobby to start with, but I, I wish he would start, to be honest. I, I would love this to be a game where he's exactly the same as Henderson, for example, and we're thinking, like, we'll go to the 60 and then we'll see how it is. You two will come off and then we will change accordingly and maybe it's Keita and Diaz or Jota comes on then. I think it'll be Jota, though. So is that Jota through the middle and yeah. Mane off the left, or Mane yes. through the middle and Jota off the left? No, I think the start will be Mane left, Jota through the middle, and kind of in the same way as uh, Jesus for them. In a game of not all that many big moments, you need to make sure you're not making the mistakes, and when a mistake does fall your way, you've got to put it away. And probably Jota is the best in the squad at doing that, to be honest, whether he's been involved in the match or not, whether he's playing well or not, whether he's had a good couple of sighters or not, he can just put one away sometimes. So I would, I don't really have any worries about which of the five start. And I'd be perfectly honest, not just for the form that Salah's in, but in general, if we went into a game, I'd be surprised if he didn't start. But if we, if we started with Mane, Diaz and Jota, would you be upset? Like, I mean, they're all very, very good forwards mm. and they're all good enough to win games. So I don't think there's any hope in hell that Sal doesn't start this game, obviously. But I'm just saying that whichever of the others are in, we should be pretty confident of scoring a goal. Yeah, yeah, no, I 100% agree. That that is That is why you have five of them, so that whatever three you put on the pitch, you're confident that they'll get the job done. There's part of me that thinks if Joe can say, oh, or John Stones is going to be the right back, then Luis Diaz has to start because he he would absolutely annihilate either of them. But then I I, I just like I said I I just have no idea what Klopp will do. The way he took Jota off early uh, during the week, like with Henderson, might indicate that he plans starting. But then he took Milner off as well at the same time. And he's definitely not starting this. <laughs> that might be just one that that was as much as he could run. I did like the fact that Henderson put the armband on Milner and then Milner had to hand it over to Ali. Mm. I wonder, was that in part to waste a bit more time? Because Milner had to trot all the way back to Allison to put the armband on him. But, um, yeah, I, I, I genuinely don't know who starts up front, any of the any three of the five, and and, and we should be happy because... They're all exceptionally good in in their own ways, and they can all offer very different things. The big the big one for me is is that midfield spot because, like, people want to criticise Fab for how poor he was last weekend. There was a reason Fab was that poor. Fab and Thiago, between the two of them, were having to do the work of three men, and most of that was fall, most of that extra burden was falling on Fab. Because it was to his right. Um, we need to stop rewarding shit performances with more more game time. We really do. Uh, prediction for the FA Cup semi final. I ain't got a clue. I think this could be absolutely anything. To be perfectly honest with you, I think, like I said before, I think this one will be a bit more chaotic, and I think it'll be a bit more. 
not hell for leather as such, but I, I do think there'll be a bit more um, freedom around some of the playing and the build-up, and maybe some chances, and maybe there'll be a, an extra error or two just because of the massiveness of the pitch and the spaces that'll be there, and it'll look like there's more chances at some stages, but I don't know. I honestly haven't got a clue. I, I'll go 2-1 for Liverpool because I want it to be, but I, this could be 4-0 or 3-0. Yeah, and it could be 4-0 on either side because yeah. they, they're just the way these two teams play. Um, is this, last question, is this a preview of what will be this season's Champions League final? No. Are you going to be brave enough to pick Real Madrid to beat? Because I think Real Madrid will beat City. Yeah, I have done. Yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of people writing Real off and I just thought, you're writing off a team full of pip of players who've won two and four Champions Leagues in favour of a team that have routinely bottled things in the Champions League. It, it's just madness to me. Like that, that much now, that much knowledge of how to win the competition. And not even that, but to be honest, some of those very, very key performers for Real Madrid are in the best form of the season right now. Mm. Um, apart from probably Tony Cruz, I think is a little bit off it recently, but Casemiro is really, really good. Luka Modric is absurd. Benzema, obviously, everybody knows because he's the one getting the goals anyway. Uh, I think it'll be Alvin very... Alaba's playing really well. Yeah, yeah, he is, yeah. And Thibaut uh, Courtois as well. Thibaut Courtois is in incredible form. Valverde's playing really well. Camavinga's playing really well. Vinicius is playing really well. <laughs> the, the two big concerns I would have is if Militao doesn't play because he's not fit. And if Carvajal does play because he's about as much use as your average oak tree at the minute. <laughs> but yeah, it could yeah. Be a really, he's really the weak link in that team. Oh, God, Car- by a mile. Danny Carvajal is the weak link. And and the only hope you have that he doesn't get massively expo- exposed will be Pep playing Jack Grealish on the left wing. Because Carvajal can at least climb inside his jersey and Grealish doesn't have the pace to run away from him. Um, but they need Militao. They, they desperately need Militao to be playing. I wonder, might he try Nacho at right back if Militao is fit and he plays Nacho, Militao, Alaba and Ferland Mendy because Nacho doesn't have great pace, but he can at least move. He, he's good side to side. He can read the game well. He's very strong in the air and it gives City an extra an extra issue to deal with of you know that, that extra aerial presence coming up for set pieces. It also helps them defend... City set pieces because City have a few tall lads who come forward for set pieces. But I do, I think Real, I I think people are mad to write them off. If, like, Real won't play the way Atleti played, but they will have watched that game and I think they'll have taken quite a bit from the second leg and seen the types of opportunities and, and chances that Atleti were able to fashion. Like, that Angel Correa chance at the end, if that falls to any of the Real attackers, that's in the back of the net. Whether it's Rodrigo, Vinicius, or Benzema, that's a goal. And also, there was the very, very questionable penalty call. If that's a Real player going down, I think that Real player is getting that that decision. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think it's. I think Real will beat City in the semi-final. I do. Whether what it's wishful thinking or not, I don't know. What about the other ones, really quickly, just to pick your your finalists from the Europa League: West Ham, Frankfurt, and Leipzig Rangers. I'll go West Ham Leipzig final, and I think Leipzig will beat them because I don't think they'll be able to cope with Nkunku. But I think that could be a great final. I really do. I think that could be an absolutely outstanding match. Um, so yeah, I'll go. I'll go West Ham Leipzig. What about you? I'm going to go West Ham Leipzig as well, but I'm going to go with the West Ham fine, uh, winners now. I think Moisey's convinced me. He's turned me around. So, <laughs> there you go. Get um, on board the Moisey hype train. What about what about the mighty Europa Conference League? Then we get Roma against Leicester. Who are you picking? I'm going to go for Roma. Yeah, because, me too. Yeah, for many many reasons. But I'll be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if they bottle that because that Roma squad is still a bit. Fugazi. It's a bit yeah. Fugazi. Let's yeah. be fair. Yeah. It is a little bit. There's one or two defenders who have some, I would say... Defending um, issues? Yes. Defensive yes. issues is probably the best way to put it. And secondly then, Feyenoord Marseille. Who you got? This might be my favourite semi-final out of all three of them in terms of... There's going to be goals, kind of, Carl. Yeah, romance. Because Feyenoord can't defend at all. No. Um, I'm going to go for Marseille because I find it very difficult to just say no to Sampaoli but again this is more based on weird notions of footballing romance and stuff than anything else I think Feyenoord Marseille could be a really really good couple of legs to watch so I'm going to do my best to watch those but uh, I'll pick Marseille Roma final and if Roma do get there I'd find it difficult to think that Jose will not one nil his way to victory. Yes, yes. Jose is one nilling his way to victory after extra time in that one. So I've got Roma, Leipzig, you've got West Ham, Roma. Um, and then we both think uh, a Real Madrid, Liverpool Champions League final, the the rematch from 2018. I wonder if there might be a slightly mo- motivated Egyptian for that one, if he maybe sees those white shirts, remembers the fact that they cheated, they used their scumbaggery, but that scumbag is now gone. But they also ruined his World Cup, even though he went on and did okay at the World Cup. They ruined his World Cup because he basically played it with a separated shoulder. Uh, that might be a big motivating factor for one Mohamed Salah, uh, in which case, all the best, all the best. You're in big trouble, right? Uh, Liverpool will play Manchester United. Oh, I, I'll go, I'll go, uh, you know what, I'm going to say fuck it and go 3-1 to the Reds for the FA Cup semi-final. Liverpool will play Manchester United in the Premier League on Tuesday the 19th. So, you know, quick enough turnaround. That game is at Anfield. United play Norwich in between. Uh, that's obviously a very difficult game for them at home to a shit team. That's Potentially points dropped. Uh, they have dropped points to both Watford and Everton in recent weeks. It looks like they're about to appoint Eric Ten Hag, or they're in the process of, of finalising the appointment of Eric Ten Hag. Uh, we'll talk about him another day because we don't really have the time for that today. But do you think the players knowing there's a new manager coming in and who that manager is going to be will be a motivating factor? 
Or could it simply be a case where the players look at Ralph Ranić and think, we don't care what you say, we now know you're gone and you have no input in what happens here next season. So shut up, little German man. We can't be bothered anymore. Can I answer your question with a question of my own? Of course you can. When was the last time you saw this Man United team look motivated? Um, probably under Louis van Gaal. <laughs> um, largely out of fear of what he might do to them uh, should he get them alone in the dressing room. Um, the great trouser dropper. <laughs> what a magnificent fella. Uh, off topic, I, I, I really hope his uh, his... His treatment yes. and his recovery from, from illness goes really well because regardless of what people think of him and regardless of the fact that his tenure at United has become a little bit of, you know, a, a, some fun stories or whatever, he, he is one of the great managers of the last 30 years and that, and that is absolute fact. His Ajax team, his Barcelona team were good. He, he had a great Bayern, Bayern Munich team and he won the league title at AZ Alkmaar, like that, he, the guy is an incredible manager, and by all accounts, he is a good man. It's just that he, he fell out with a few people in the the Manchester media. Um, yeah, look, I, I don't see this United team being motivated at all. I don't really see them giving any sort of a toss between now and the end of the season. But the fact is that right now, as things stand, they are outside of the places which will qualify for Europe next season. Now, that will change, obviously, if a top four team wins the FA Cup, an extra Europa League spot goes to the league, and that will go to uh, Manchester United. They would get a Europa Conference League spot at the moment. It could also change if West Ham win the Europa League, then the spot they're in could go to United, whatever, etc., etc., but like the perform Carol, the performance against Everton was an absolute disgrace. Like if that was our team, and we've seen we've been Liverpool fans a long time, we've seen some bad Liverpool teams, but I've never seen a Liverpool team with the possible exception of Blackburn away under the Hodge. I don't know that I've ever seen a Liverpool team care as little and put in as little effort as that United team last weekend. That was shambolic. I tell you what, I, I second half of that game, I mean, I was working for it. I really needed to pee, right? And at full time when the whistle went, I think I moved quicker to the bathroom than any of their players did on the pitch. Yeah, but that's like... You know what was what the, the strangest thing about it was? In the first half, they created a couple of decent opportunities, and Pickford, to his credit, managed to make a couple of decent saves. In the second half, with Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes and Jaden Sancho and Cristiano Ronaldo all on the pitch, all earning exceptional amounts of money, all very highly regarded by their collective stands and whatever else, none of them seemed to have the first idea what they were meant to do when they got the ball in the Everton, ter- Everton final third. The only thing they seemed to do was give it to Sancho and hope for the best. 
And that poor boy was up against two and three Everton defenders every time. And he beat the first one and then run into the second. Or he beat the first two and then run into the third. And nobody else seemed to have any idea of, like, what should we do here? Like, are they are they being coached? Has Rangnick given up? Or have they just stopped listening to him? Have they ever listened to him? It is. It is not a good look. And when, when David De Gea, who's normally fairly political in his in his comments like he doesn't tend to rock the boat too much when he comes out and says that was a disgrace you know it was bad you know and when you see Cristiano number one leather the ball into the into the crowd which he should have gotten a yellow card for and number two assault a teenager by smacking a phone out of his hand which again he he should be fined or suspended for but he may well face uh, criminal charges when you see those type of things you know that there's far more wrong than just what's going on on the pitch yeah um i don't want to get into the whole ronaldo thing to be perfectly honest because i've been bored of talking about him all season long we know he's not been a good signing for him we know he's holding him back and we know that there's been reports now saying ten Hag has only agreed to join if he hasn't got to have him in the team um i think that probably tells you everything you need to know about what he was as an as an addition to the squad and that the goals itself don't matter alone not to the people who are you know making the the, the footballing decisions or will be in this case for Ten Hag um they brought all those attackers on and they had no reference point they had no patterns they had no fallback uh we talk about Man City's repetitions for example and the the way that they go about things over and over and over again and maybe for people's tastes they are too mechanical for that in exactly the same way as for some people's tastes, Burnley, who we spoke about earlier, are too mechanical with their repetitions. They're very different ways of doing it, but it's the same principle. You do what you're good at, you do what you think helps you to get to goal, and you do it repetitively. They both have the same approach. United don't have that. They still don't have that. They never had it under Solskjaer at all, other than lightning counterattacks in that sort of half season when it all restarted and there were no fans. They were very, very good on the break then, and they flooded forward with people and all the rest of it. But since then, nothing at all. And I don't think Ranić has really done anything in that regard at all either. And that is the biggest thing that they have to sort out. And I, I, I've said it before, I think a big part of that is some of the players that they've got at the club are pretty safe in the knowledge that they'll be in the team or that they won't be in the team and it doesn't make any difference to their standing at the club. And until they offload quite a few players and get rid of quite a big bulk of that squad because there's too many people there who are just contributing nothing at all on a week-to-week basis, I don't really see it changing. I mean, I don't think that Ten Hag in a year makes them title challenges. I don't think that Ten Hag in three transfer windows makes them title challenges. It's going to take a while. I'm not sure Ten Hag in three years will make them title challenges, Carl, because I just think the problems are are far deeper than just the playing squad. I, I think it goes all the way up to the top and all the way down to the bottom. I, I, there's no there's no real structure in place. There's nobody in a position at Manchester United who is best in class. Like, you look at Liverpool and you look at every single department within the football club and we have best in class. They have best in class on the business side of things. And even at that, they haven't had the commercial power over the last couple of years that you would have expected 
I don't know, like Ten Hag is coming from Ajax, where they do have the best in class in, in most roles. He was at a very stable football club with good people around him. And he was shielded from a lot of the noise and the bullshit that comes of being a manager. At Manchester United, number one, he won't have that because they just don't have the people around him. But number two, it's also Manchester United. And there's, regardless of where they are in the table, and I know their fans say it, and it is a bit stupid, but you know that hated, adored, never ignored thing? It is sort of true. No matter how bad United are, they're never ignored. They are always front and centre when it comes to media coverage because they are the biggest club in England. And while we are right there with them, I would still say they're a slightly bigger club than us. Just from a commercial, global fan base point of view, I think they're slightly bigger than us. There's never a time where you get to switch off as Manchester United manager. And I think that's going to be a big thing for Ten Hag. And they haven't done a good job at shielding Moyes, Van Hal, Mourinho, Oli, or Ranić from that. And if you take a look, just take a look at David Moyes before and after Manchester United in terms of just the day he walked in, the day he walked out. The same for Van Hal, the same for Mourinho, the same for Oli, and the same for Ranić. They all look much, much older when they leave, despite only being at the club for, you know, two and a half years at a maximum. That job is massive pressure, massive stress. Ten Hag is coming from a very protected little bubble in a league that a lot of people don't pay attention to. And he's only managed in that league. I don't know that he's ready for what he's about to walk into. And without good support people around him, which he's not going to have, he might get to pick the people below him. He won't have the input in the people above him or the other departments the way a Klopp has had. I think I don't think it matters who they put in there. I'm not sure they're going to be title contenders in the next three, four years regardless. No, it's definitely a huge turnaround on it, Like to be perfectly honest job number one for whoever is appointed not just as the head coach but above him as well is get back into the Champions League because they're not doing it this year they haven't done it in too many of the most recent seasons and there's a bit of a gap there you know and whoever comes in they're not going to be as good a coach right now as Antonio Conte is they're not going to have the pull of Antonio Conte United obviously do over Spurs but it's not just Spurs that they've got to overhaul is it I mean we just talked about West Ham a minute ago as well if they do go on and win it they're in the Champions League they'll have better spending power and Arsenal well I don't really want to go into Arsenal again because that's another 35 minutes and guys probably already getting annoyed at us in the background for going about three days over our time limit but there's a lot of work to do for United loads and loads and loads and I I am fervently hoping that we showcase that in midweek as we did at Old Trafford yeah I'm exactly the same but you're, you're spot on when you say Ten Hag is not as good a manager as Conte and he's not as good a manager as Thomas Tuchel. He's certainly not as good a manager as Jurgen Klopp or Pep. Like, we don't even know yet if he's as good a manager as David Moyes. He might not be. He, he might be a Brendan Rodgers for all we know. 
people want to say, oh, but he's won league titles with Ajax. So did Frank De Boer. Philip Koku won a bunch of titles with PSV Eindhoven. They both came to England and failed. Oh, but he got Ajax to a Champions League semi-final. And what happened in every other year he was there? Out in the group stage, out in the round of 16. He built two great teams. No, he didn't. Peter Bose built the first team. He just took it over. So a lot of the talk around him just is factually incorrect or, I mean, it's questionable achievements. Winning the Eredivisie, great, fair play. But Frank De Boer did it four times in three and a half seasons. Philip Koku did it, I think, three times. Uh, Giovan Bronckhorst has won one, and he's doing pretty well with Rangers, but he's not going to win the title this season with them. It's not necessarily a, a defining trait that Steve McLaren won the Airy Divisi. So it's not necessarily a defining trait that this is going to make you a good manager. Yes, he plays an attractive brand of football, but he's also working at a club where there's no real stars. Like, there's no big star names at Ajax. Anyone that becomes a star at Ajax immediately leaves. Frankie, Delict, Gravenberch. Like, who's the biggest star there now? Dusan Tadic? Sebastian Haller? Two lads that didn't work out in the Premier League? He walks into the United dressing room. Bruno's got a big ego and... Sancho's got an ego and Cristiano, if he does stick around, now, I, I, like you said, there's reports that, that he's said that he doesn't want him. There's reports as well that they want Pau Torres again. And I I wonder what that means for Maguire. But does that then that becomes a big issue? You've got your club captain who cost 80 million and all of a sudden he's not in the team. So what does that mean? You know, you've got big, big questions to answer. You've got a goalkeeper that doesn't fit how he plays. You've got a mismatched bunch of players. And you've got a rot that really does seem to set in. It, the likes of Rashford, Martial, talented players that just have fallen off a cliff. You've got the Greenwood situation, which you're going to have to walk in and deal with. Like, that's not ideal to begin with. Walking in and, and immediately having one of the most talented young players in the world unavailable to you potentially unavailable forever uh, it's a very very difficult situation for him to walk into i i don't envy him at all i think i think pochettino would have been better equipped to come in and take over because he's been in the premier league before he's been at bigger clubs ajax are a huge club but now spurs are a more relevant club to the upper echelons of europe because of Kane and all the players they have and, and the fact that they've been top four in the Premier League a bunch of times. He's been at PSG, so he's worked in dysfunction as well. Ten Hag has basically had everything he wanted at Ajax. He's not going to get that at United in a lot of ways. It's messy. It's messy. Let's look at the weekend then. So I really don't know what to expect from this game. They're... They're obviously not very good, but they do have some good players. As a, as a suggested lineup, let me suggest um, De Gea in goal, De low right back, Alex Tellez left back, Lindelof and and Maguire 
at centre back because they have a bunch of issues, a bunch of injuries. Shaw, Varane, McTominay, Fred, and Cavani all injured at the moment and all unlikely to play. Last update was about a week ago, and he said that these players are likely missing for a couple of weeks. So if we go by them all missing, that's a rough defence. Delo, Lindelof, Maguire and Tellez against us doesn't seem ideal. No McTominay, no Fred likely means the joyous double pivot of Paul Pogba and Scott McTominay. No, sorry, and Nemanja Matic. I can't think of many worse double pivots to play against us. Uh, Bruno as your number 10. And then Sancho one wing, Elanga the other, and the show pony up front. Yeah, it's not going to be far away from that 11. Maybe a, a bit of a shuffle midfield shape-wise. We've seen them go with a three, obviously, mm. uh, a few times recently. But it's still going to be the same uh, basic layout there, isn't it? Off the ball, one will drop a little bit deeper. Fernandes will be a bit deeper. On the ball, Fernandes will still get into that number 10 zone and they'll try and attack the wings as much as they can. Um, I think that the 11 is probably about right there because I don't see too many other options for them, to be perfectly honest, with the injuries that they have got. That's it. I mean, the only other option might be to start Rashford, but the form he's in, I, I don't think he warrants starting. Um, very excited. Do you know who the biggest winner of Eric Ten Hag becoming Manchester United manager is? It's oh, Donny van de Beek, who might actually get a game next season because the poor fella has barely gotten a kick at United and he's joined Everton and gotten injured, so he's barely had a kick of a ball in two years but at least Eric Ten Hag will know how to use him because it seems like no one else has had a breeze uh, at either United or at Everton um right so for us then if if we go on the understanding that it is Henderson Fabinho Thiago as the three against City um and then Salah Jota Mane was the front three we laid out what are we expecting from Liverpool then? Give me your 11 for Liverpool versus Manchester United on Tuesday. Uh, okay, Alison, are we going to assume there's no injuries or extra time and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, let's just assume we beat them in normal time and there's no injuries. Okay. Uh, Trent. Andy Robbo. Matip back in. Van Dijk. Then... Probably I would expect at least one change in each line, possibly two. So we could go like a, a Fabinho, Naby, Curtis Jones, for example. Maybe this is a game that Ox comes back in for. And then Diaz, let's say Firmino and Salah up front. Yeah, I, I think that's good. I do think that's good. I, I think you're right. I think Naby will come in for Thiago. And I think one, if if if... If Henderson starts against City, I think one of Jones or potentially Ox gets the start. <sighs> Poor old Ox. I mean, he didn't have a good game last time out. And he, he, he seemingly just disappeared. He doesn't exist anymore because when James Milner at 49 years of age is getting trotted out for a game and he's left sat kicking his heels... It does kind of hint that this is the 
the last days of Ox at Liverpool, which is, you know, I mean, he's a, he's, he's a, such a nice lad. You wanted him to do really well. He was doing well. He had the horrible injury. He came back. He was pretty good during the title-winning season. Scored a number of goals, but he's it hasn't gone well the last two seasons, and it is probably time to move him on. So maybe he gets one last swan song at home to United, and uh, it'd be nice to see him score a couple of goals or, or do something a bit a bit a bit impressive. Uh, I'll, I'll I think you're right. I think that's that's a, a solid team. I like that that front three as well. I'm going to go first on the predictions, and I'm going to say four nil to the Reds. And a big, big tantrum by one Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> Is that when he gets subbed or what? Yes, when he gets subbed off on 60, having done nothing um, except live in the pocket of Virgil van Dijk or Joel Matip or both uh, and gets subbed off for Marcus Rashford, uh, I, I think he might have a bit of a strop. I think he might just head straight down the tunnel doing some gesticulating uh, all young people, you should keep your phones out of reach because he will try and slap them. And then, and then, to double down on the crime, he's going to invite you to Old Trafford. As if it wasn't bad enough that your phone is on the ground, smashed, he wants to punish you further by bringing you to Old Trafford. And knowing him, the sick fuck that he is, he'll sit you under that big leak that's in the roof and you'll get soaked. It'll be horrendous. It'll be a terrible day out. And your new phone will get damaged by the water. Exactly. I, I have to say, I look like you can smell the lawsuit coming, the, the kid's mother coming out and saying he hasn't been able to sleep ever since. It's just <laughs> wonderful. It sets it up lovely. And sue him for a million quid. You'll get a settlement out of him. It might be a hundred grand, but you, it's a hundred grand. You'll get a settlement out of him. He won't want to go to court. He's he's clearly seen to assault you. So, you know, you, you, you can you can make bank there. Um, give me your prediction then for uh, Liverpool versus Manchester United and we will get out of here. Hang on, just texting Guy to make sure he puts a this is not legal advice disclaimer at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> okay, we're good. Um, I reckon we double down on the old Trafford scoreline. 5-0 again? Yeah, why not? 4-0 at the break again. Beautiful. Beautiful. Naby Cater running the show against Manchester United twice in a season would be a thing of beauty. And maybe this is the game that sparks Salah back into life. Another hat-trick would be very, very nice. Uh, we'll leave it there and we will be back next week for the Everton game. We might try and get another one done to uh, to do the, the Spurs title-building team challenge and maybe do a couple of other questions or something as well. But uh, this will be our, our preview for the two games. Do you have anything coming out that you want people to know about? Uh, yes, European thing ahead of the weekend. There's a massive, massive bunch of games. Liverpool play Saturday, so just for your viewing pleasure, Liverpool supporters, I'm doing something of watching stuff all day Sunday, which is a brilliant day of European action. Outstanding, outstanding. So read Carl's work on The Independent. Follow him on Twitter at Carl Matchett. Tweet him pictures of Mr. Deeds and, and, and all sorts like Dracula because it's just funny. And uh, follow Guy Drinkle at Guy Drinkle. See you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. 
The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.